You're listening to Identity Revolution, a podcast from the consumer identity management experts at Infutor Data Solutions. In each episode, we invite industry leaders for data-driven discussions on all things marketing, analytics, and identity. Join us as we take a deep dive into industry trends, strategies, and the future of data technology. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Infutor Data Solutions podcast, Identity Revolution. My name is Corey Davis. I lead the MarTech, AdTech, and Media Ecosystem here at Infutor, and very, very excited to welcome our next guest, Bill Michaels from the Trade Desk. Bill is currently a GM of product at the Trade Desk, joined pretty recently. We'll ask him about that in a minute, but has spent uh, the last 20 plus years across tech, media, and data, including time at Yahoo, Factual, Foursquare, all before we're joining the Trade Desk. So, Bill, thanks for joining us. Appreciate you taking the time. Thanks. Yeah, I guess to get us started, can you give the audience a little bit more detailed background of yourself and what you've been working on for the last 20 plus years? Sure, sure. Thanks, Corey. Yeah, super excited to be here. Look forward to the discussion. And yeah, let, let me start. I guess quick background is yeah, I've been at, you mentioned relatively new. I am about six, seven months now at the Trade Desk, primarily focusing on Unified ID 2, as well as a few other areas. Prior to that, I was at Foursquare as Chief Data Officer for a little while, and then spent a while at Factual in many different roles, mainly the last couple of years as the COO, and then also working in uh, Ramp Product and Partnerships there for a while as well. And then prior to that, I was at Yahoo as well as a few other jobs. But I, I'd say that the main theme and the things I've worked on over the, the past several years is access to data and building the right products and tools so that either developers or brands or folks that play inside of a, a data ecosystem get the right access to data to make important decisions, but also to drive and help them build the best products that they can build as well. Awesome. Awesome. And I do want to ask... I guess before we get into the trade desk, obviously Factual and Foursquare coming together, you were at Factual for a long time. I guess talk us through how that came about, I guess, a little bit. And Sure. Yeah, happy to add, add some color there. Right. So there was some great, we called it industrial logic at the time when we we're working through this. And that term really holds up well because we had two companies that had fantastic what we call places data sets. And actually, that wound up being very complementary. We were the best two in the industry. We had some good mutual customers, Apple, Facebook, Snapchat, Microsoft, Bing, Uber, did I say that? A few others, but also the sort of the strengths and weaknesses there were a little different. Like we, Foursquare had a consumer app and they were great with freshness and some of the other social signals. Factual was fantastic at data extraction, knowledge extraction, which gave us a lot of breadth, which gave us good sort of deeper attributes on places. So together, they now have the best places data set in the world. That's a great combination. And also, we had different sort of mixture of products that are factual built called Geopulse, which was a marketing product to help brands look at and where consumers are going in the world to do targeting. Foursquare, through its acquisition of Placed, had a fantastic measurement product. So again, it was a nice example of where we ostensibly all in location, but there are different subtleties in how we built our products and where we're good and strong. And, and those fit together fantastically. So it made sense. They now are by far the leading location company provider in, in the sector. 
And they collapsed a lot of those products into the one making sort of best in class for all of them and really slowed down times to like win deals and deal cycles. And it's been great for that combination. So super excited to sort of see that come through and it's going to work well for them. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And so you said six or seven months ago, you joined the trade desk. Mm -hmm. So obviously the trade desk, a household name. I want to run through some basics here. I have it at about 1,400 people across four continents, I think. Sounds right. North of $800 million a year revenue. And as of this morning, about a $39 billion market cap. So you join that business as GM of product, I guess. Talk us through like what is the GM of product? I would say slightly interesting job title is that a chief product officer function? Is it something different than we that? do have an SVP of product? It's just sort of the way we think of it is it's a level within our product organization. So just to back up, like yeah, I think all the things you said were correct. We may even be larger; it might be fifteen hundred, but I am not sure. Continue to be growing, and, and definitely will be adding headcount around the world this year. I think the four continents is right. We're very much a global company that happens to be headquartered in the U.S., but everything we do from the products we build to the go-to-market is definitely approached with a global mindset. Yeah, and I, I got to know Trade Desk well because some of the early products we built at Factual were integrated in with the Trade Desk when they were a smaller DSP, but promising one. So we built a lot of our pipes and our integrations of how we would push data into, into the ecosystem. And it was clear then that Trade Desk had something special. And it was nice to see that growth inside of how the Factual products were consumed. And it's nice now to be, be here on the inside, just watching how the platform itself is growing and now how we're tackling really broad, exciting industry level problems like identity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would definitely want to talk through the, the UID 2.0 in a second. But I guess for those who aren't deeply entrenched in Martech ad tech, for that group of the audience here, what is the trade desk? Where are the core use cases that you're helping mainly I would say brands and, and marketers, traditional marketers, where are you helping them? And then also kind of what's around the corner that you're working on. So how would I describe the trade? We are an omni-channel global media buying platform, right? So agencies and brands leverage our software to purchase media across the entire open internet. We describe the internet as basically everything outside of a walled garden. So anywhere that you would buy media when you buy media inside something that does not give you the sort of the full reporting out, does not give you some of the discrete sort of decision level that's available and programmatic, we cover all of that. So that's how do you buy on display, mobile app. And obviously CTV has been a, a huge growth area for us and will continue to be for a while. What else am I missing there? Oh, and then there's also things like out of home and audio, right? There's lots of different channels. I think one of the, the really great things Trade Desk did early on is said that we are omni-channel, like everything we will buy on in every country. It's been a mantra, and then I think that's a lot about how we think around how we build products, including identity, and how we go to market. Gotcha. Okay. And so to transition then into UID 2.0, so obviously there was 1.0, sort of more cookie-based solution. Now we're in 2.0, email-based solution. There's a recent announcement of the transitioning that over to the folks at Prebid. I guess, talk us through sure. where this came to be, your role in it, how it's going. Great. Yeah. Happy to do that. So first of all, it's going fantastic. It's been an amazing project to come in and get to work on. 
it's one of the few things I've seen in, in my career too, where the level of industry collaboration has been very exciting and promising and seeing people that compete, people that are partner in different ways or collaborate pretty deeply on solving a problem in a very open way that's helped accelerate our progress. That's been super exciting for me. So when we say just to back up what it is, so you mentioned Unified ID1, that's a what we call a cookie sync. That's something that will continue. It helps different parties sync third-party cookies to sort of help reduce the load of websites are loaded and the offline syncing that happens to try to understand who identity of who's on that browser page. Third-party cookies are in the process of going away. We don't know exactly when, and I guess there's always a the chance too that they don't go away, but on Chrome is the last browser that allows for third-party cookies roughly a year, I don't know, maybe even less at this point until they, Chrome will deprecate those. So what that means is that on a given web page, a third party is no longer able to track and having a sense of who you are based on a piece of code they put on there. So what we built with Unified ID is as an industry solution, we want the ability for consumers to be able to log in to sort of authenticate who they are to a website. We want to enable publishers to have sort of a a value exchange so they can explain to a user why identity is important and why I'm going to treat it in a safe and transparent way. But it also allows me to offer content and services for free. That's how I, I'm an advertising-based business like most websites. And by getting your identity, I'm, I'm able to offer you this content for free. I ask you to log in. And then once that value exchange, which is something I, I don't think we've seen that much of, and hopefully we will start to see more as we get closer to the end state of when the cookies go away. But as we see more of those, we will see more and more impressions or advertising opportunities on the open internet that have a logged in component to it, right? So now the question goes, okay, if when it is logged in, we can't put people's emails into SSPs, into marketplace. That's certainly not that safe. And actually even hash emails aren't even safe. That's dangerous as well. So what we spent a while on is devising a, a system, architecting a system that allowed for folks to share who they were, a way to sort of at least an advertiser and a publisher could turn an email into a UID too, but also protected. So as these went through SSPs in the open marketplace, no one was able to come back and sort of back engineer into what that email was. So it's protected there. It's also something that could be very lightweight, something that could be operated without a lot of cost. Wouldn't require sort of a single central service that someone has to put a lot of servers on to, to manage, but also put a lot of software around to protect in case there was a hack or a way to get into it. So we started sharing our designs this summer and did lots of iterations across feedback from across the industry. And, and actually we made changes based on that feedback and we continue to make those changes. And I love that. It's exciting to see people give good, honest feedback, and we can be flexible and adopt them, incorporate them until and we continue. We'll, this will be open source eventually too, so that sort of mantra will continue. We're at a point too where we have this live, we're operating and Trade Desk is hosting it. So we're able to generate UID2s now for some participants in what we call a sort of a POC phase. We're buying on them. Brands are generating UID2s. We see some publishers, a few publishers have integrated. We see them into the bitstream. We're able to buy them and we'll be scaling that out more and more. But also other DSPs now can start scaling that out too. Is, and that's great to see is other DSPs understand it. They get it. They're excited to adopt it as well. It's another thing we'll be seeing in the next few months. The other, as you mentioned, it's migrating this into operations for somebody else. So the end state is there will be multiple 
the code base itself will be managed in an open source framework. So others will be able to see, get access and transparency into it, into the code to ensure that it's, it's doing what we say, what we say it's doing. And they'll also be able to suggest commitments, suggest adjustments to the system. And there'll be a form of sort of a commitment group that weighs those. Yeah, I, I love that sense of like, it's never going to be done. We'll always be adjusting it, but it'll be community and industry driven to make those adjustments. So that's still going to take a while. I would say we're a quarter or, so, or more away from when we will get into that state. Then there's sort of the operation of it, which means that, okay, we have this code base. Who's going to run it, right? And what we've come up with is a pretty cool distributed model to do that. So there doesn't have to be a single operator. Many can be operating it off of in a distributed form and sort of a set of containers that go off of the same code base. So what we've announced so far is that Prebid will be one of those operators, which is great. It's an interface. It's a trusted organization that has a great reputation for executing, operating, and building code. It's also one that's trusted by publishers and others, other parties in the ecosystem. So we think people should feel comfortable having dependencies on that as a service that they being um, in runtime against. So that'll be one. There'll be several others. And I think even over years from now, there'll be continue to be new operators that choose to come on board and run a container version of the service themselves. Got it. Got it. That's a lot of work. You've been busy. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's, it'll be for a year or so more. It's going to continue to be a lot and a lot of coordination, which is great. It's really fun stuff to work on. And I guess the sentiment is everyone has a lot of questions and everyone has wants to provide feedback. That's fantastic. But it's also, you know, you get tough questions, but then you also get, hey, by the way, thanks. This is awesome. This is so cool that we are actually making progress on something. So it's this nice people will stress test it, make sure we've thought things through, but it's all done with the sentiment of, well, really, this is going to work. Like It's happening and thank you for starting it. And now it's sort of, we're seeing the momentum where like multiple people are pushing this boulder, which is awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Good work. Thanks. Okay. So to take a step back, I guess, away from the trade desk, away from UID 2.0 and just more broadly, MarTech, AdTech, media, data, all that stuff that the big landscape thing that we see that comes out once a year, we had Scott Brinker as a guest on the podcast recently, and we talked about, hey, there's this 8,000 companies in this thing. You've been in the space for a long time, Yahoo, Factual, Foursquare, now the Trade Desk. I guess, what are your predictions about this space as it has grown so, so substantially over the last however many years? Does it continue to grow? Do we see mass consolidation? Are we just, are we going to see replacement companies as the trade desk goes and buys 15 more providers in the space? What's the prediction for the future? Good question. I see this as the plumbing and the architecture that goes around of providing these services for brands and for consumers for that matter. And for agencies is there's still a lot of innovation and work that needs to get done. It's a great promising space with a lot of growth like we talk about at Trade Desk, is that advertising is ultimately a trillion-dollar market. There's not many of those in the world, right? And that brings with it lots of room for innovation and for growth and, and for solving problems to help customers, I should say. So predictions, I like this. I think the job is never done here. Like There'll be more and more companies applying smart technologies to, to solve problems for customers. And, and hopefully, you know, now we've seen a great run over the past three to six months of equity valuations of marketing and advertising technology companies. That's fantastic. It's sort of a nice validation that these are great businesses 
they can run at great margins and they can be have really nice growth rates and they can build sustainable moats around their products that help reiterate and protect those growth rates. So predictions would be is, I don't know if as we see more standards, as we get better at sort of sharing data and collaborating across, do we necessarily need more consolidation? If brands and agencies and other clients out there are comfortable stitching things together, they don't need consolidation. Like what they care about is just being able to do their job and the CMO needs to do their job. I don't know, necessarily know if that will happen, especially since valuations are continue to look really well. So I don't know if I'd say that. There may be some as long as I think any lens on that should be, am I doing, am I building a better product for this? Am I building a better solution for my customer? But not necessarily just to necessarily land grab. Other predictions though, I look, I think we're gonna have another year or two of identity, like keep working through this and iterating around identity. We have iOS 14 going on right now. So there's still a lot of adjustment around that. That dynamic is going to take a while to play out as we learn like how Apple thinks around these, what are the right consents they need in their ATT framework and how that changes and how brands adjust for that will take a while. And then we have this cookies coming as well soon. And this is like a nice dry run with Apple, I guess. So I think my prediction is there'll continue to be a lot of iteration around and experimentation around how to handle identity. And we have one solution, but there are lots of others out there, right? And they're not all mutually exclusive, right? I think they can all be layered on and it helps solve problems in different ways. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, looking at time a little bit, I think last couple of questions here. The first one is maybe a, a softball. Outside of GM, a product at $39 billion market cap business, what are you doing outside of that? Obviously, we're all, we've all been at home for 11 months or so now. What are you spending your time on outside of work? Sure. Yeah, that's a good softball one. Okay. What am I spending my time? I'm fortunate enough, I live in a spot where the weather's been pretty good. So I'm in South Pasadena, which is sort of a suburb of LA. So I am safely outdoors a good amount. So are my kids and my family. So I'm active outdoors. So that means I can still take my go surfing with one of my sons or play tennis and things like that. So that's one of the outlets. So just characterize it as family time. The other would be a pretty active reader. So I enjoy, I have a long list of things I'm trying to consume there and not having to commute and do some of these other things is certainly free yeah. some of that time, which has, has been amazing. Yeah, I love that stuff. I try to read a good amount also. What are you reading right now? Okay, so I've been reading something lately. Actually, it's right here. It's called Thinking in Systems, Donella Meadows. I'll probably finish this tonight. I'll hold it up so the audience can't see it, but you can see it here and everything. That's been awesome. A lot of different ways of how systems self-organize in the world and then how to identify them and then how to look at different way patterns that they sort of have similarities across them and how can you manipulate them to do good in the world. It's a pretty cool book, powerful. So I've enjoyed that. I found that from another podcast, a different recommendation. So that was one. Just read uh, Teddy Roosevelt in the middle of his like three volume biography stuff. That's been pretty awesome. So I'll, I'll probably dive back into that after I finish this into the last volume of that. Oh, and then I started, it's the Three Body Problem, which is a sci-fi book that someone recommended to me, which I think is getting put into a mini series. The Game of Thrones team is taking that on as their next series. So it's a Chinese sci-fi. I read the first of three and it was awesome. So. How about you? So I felt like you were going to ask me that. So I found myself in the past reading basically only one kind of book, which is basically business books 
predominantly biographies about business people. Mm-hmm. Those are great. And I love those kinds of books, but I decided I needed to use another part of my brain. So I started reading Don Quixote. Nice. I've never read it. Apparently is like supposed to be the original novel. Really? Like the first ever novel. It's 950 pages long. Oh, I had no idea it was that long. It's very like old English, like very difficult to read. Like halfway through it, I'm struggling. But it's very interesting. It's pretty good. Once you get past the sort of, it's like reading Romeo and Juliet. It's kind of like that. Once you get used to like a new cadence. Uh, yeah. The way that they're put together just doesn't make sense a lot. So I'm reading Don Quixote. Yes. Nice. I'm impressed. So, okay. So last question, obviously, work in the audience, find out more about you, what you're working on, what the trade desk is up to. Where can we find you? Yeah, good question. I guess LinkedIn, probably. If there are participants out there that want to get involved with UID2, probably there is the easiest way to find me. Or unless if you are a Trade Desk customer, certainly reach out to your account manager or rep there and we can start dialogue that way. Look, we have tons of really healthy conversations and partnerships, giving folks access to UID2 and making sure we're hearing their feedback, incorporating that into our design. So I, I would just encourage more of that. So if anyone wants to operable with UID2. If anyone wants to yeah, adopt it and make sure it's usable, it accounts for their specific use cases, come find me on LinkedIn or go find us on through your trade desk rep and we'll make sure that we're having a nice dialogue with you. Awesome. Bill Michaels, thank you so much for joining us. This is another episode of Identity Revolution. I'm Corey Davis. We'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks again for listening to Identity Revolution. For more data-driven discussion, subscribe to Identity Revolution on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And for more on how Infutor can improve your data strategy across your entire enterprise, visit infutor.com.